stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the breaking zone! Guaranteed to be better than Green Day's latest feature album, welcome back to Motorsport 101. Hi everyone, your friendly neighborhood Andre Harrison has been suspended for his opinions on the KFC Famous Bowl Pizza by Pizza Hut, <laughs> so so we have taken over. I'm RJ O'Connell with Ryan King and Cam Buckley and welcome to episode 232 of Motorsport 101. We thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, King, I gotta say, this is, this is probably the, the most concentrated that all members of the show for a single recording have been in like a real life location. Yes, we have not gotten any more close than all of us being in the Northeastern United States. (laughs) We might as well be in the same studio, is that right, Cam? Yeah, um, usually Dre is ruining that average out in the UK, but... Here, in the northeast, it's all good. Well, to be fair, once upon a time, it was uh, it was King as the lone outlier from the United States, um, and then I came along, and now Dre was the outlier. Oh, Lord, how the tables have turned. This is now technically an American podcast. Johnson, I still want my steel cage match. <laughs> yeah, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we LS swapped the podcast. <laughs> Um, so for context, um, as of today of recording, February 19th, 2020, I'm spending a anniversary vacation with my wonderful partner, Vincent, who's actually sitting here with me. Um, dear, do you have any, uh, spicy takes about Formula One testing? Yeah, uh, you don't need a test on the same car you just downloaded from our video game. We'll get more into that as we uh, go over <laughs> Formula One launches, uh, preseason testing. We had exactly one whole day of preseason testing to uh, to talk about. By the time you're listening to this, we'll have had more days of preseason testing, which we'll catch up on in the next episode. Uh, but we got a lot to cover. We obviously want to talk about the Daytona 500 and Ryan Newman's uh crash and his unbelievable recovery we have formula e from mexico city we have news from indycar uh formula one uh the automotive world at large wcwrc junior formula championships um and things to look forward to over the next couple of weeks it's gonna be a good show and we thank you very much for taking this time to listen in uh places where you find us real quick um we're on motorsport101.com. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. And if you wish to follow us personally, you can at Harrison101HD, Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, and at CBuckley917. And your support at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101 um, helps us out a lot. For $5, you get early access to all of our shows live as they're recorded. And as I frantically finish to 
struggle to finish them. Uh, but $10 gets you early to into the supporters club of our new and improved Discord channel where you can listen into these shows live as we're being recorded. Uh, shout outs to, uh, to Zane, to Steven, to Vikesh, and to James who's listening. And James will be a very uh, uh, reluctant listener because one of our stories is about one of the most recognizable brands in uh, the automotive world being shuttered. We got a lot of bad stuff to talk about. Oh, we can get through this with enough alcohol. And we could get it to it with the power of our friendship. F in the chat, guys. Yeah. Let me, uh, in the chat. Let, let me get the absinthe. All right. Um, let me, let me again, take off my blue oval cap. Okay. So, again, thank you very much for listening in. Um, let's start by talking about the daytona 500 um and for how a split second we had the second closest finished in 500 history we saw a three-time champion crowned in denny hamlin we saw lots and lots of we saw a race that was mostly clean for the first i would say 160 laps First 160 laps of the race was a very clean race. It devolved into its usual uh, over-aggressive block fest and triggered a number of big pileups. And just like a lot of super speedway races, uh, especially in modern times, we didn't think much of it. But coming to the finish of the Daytona 500 as Denny Hamlin edged Ryan Blaney by a fender, to win his third Daytona 500 in the last five years, suddenly very little of that mattered as we all worried for the health of veteran driver Ryan Newman. Ryan Newman has been on the circuit now for about, I would like to say, 20 years. He, of Mm -hmm. course, 2002 NASCAR Cup Series Rookie of the Year, who could forget how early in his career with Penske he was racking up pole positions at a rate that seemed almost impossible. You yeah, think about he, his two- uh, he he would either he would go out there he would either win the race and get pole or crash. He that was, was phenomenally in, quick. Yeah, in two thousand three, it was especially true where he led the series with eight victories, but could not close the deal because, you know. He had a very much a checkers wreckers mentality, including uh, a wreck in the 2003 Daytona 500, where the car completely came apart, and he walked away from that. Uh, but Newman would have his moments in the sun at the Daytona 500, winning for Roger Penske in a one-two finish in the 50th anniversary of the Daytona 500. He's won for damn near every team he's been with, whether it was Penske whether it was with Stuart Haas, whether it was with Richard Childress racing. You recall when in 2014, despite not having won a race in the first year of the playoff format, Ryan Newman was one of the championship four in the most improbable shithouse fashions of all time. Yeah, he ended Um, up finishing second, only behind the driver who won the championship, Kevin Harvick. Right. And this was his second year with Roush racing, Obviously, it's looking like he's towards the end of the career, but he's out to prove a point. The he's thing is with that, down. Like, 
with Roush, he's almost he, he's very much revitalized his career where, you know, Roush has been off the pace for a number of years. Newman was off the pace for a number of years yet together. Last year, they were getting a lot of really solid results. And this year, he was looking especially strong in the Daytona 500. In fact, he was leading the race on the final restart coming out of the final quarter. He was leading the race when the incident happened. Yeah, he was leading the race with literally six feet to go. Yeah. He's pushing Ryan. He's being pushed by Ryan Newman. Uh, Excuse me. He's being pushed by Ryan Blaney. Uh, Blaney moves to try and pass him. Newman covers him off. The two make contact. Newman spins right right side into the uh, into the wall. The car strikes the wall and becomes airborne and flips over. And it's as Newman's car is coming back to the ground as a as a billow of smoke is thrown up for the cars behind him that Corey LaJoy's Ford comes down and strikes Ryan Newman and strikes his car at a point at the top of the roll cage, which is not supposed to take a more or less hit hit directly on the driver's side roof and driver's side uh, a pillar. And we didn't catch it at the time because I think we'll get to this, you know, we'd seen big wrecks at Daytona at the end like this. Recall when Kyle Larson was still in the second tier series that he had a crash at the checkers that took out an entire section of the catch fence. Uh, his engine was still sitting in the catch fencing. You'll recall that at the 2015 Fourth of July race, Austin Dillon's car comes into the catch fence, and that was one of the scariest wrecks that I can remember waking up in the middle of the night to see the aftermath because yeah. the car was completely totaled and thank goodness he was able to walk away from that. Yeah. But the but, difference with, with those is that with Austin and with Larson, we knew pretty much right away that they were okay. Even though Austin Dillon, he, he hit the wall, he hit the catch fencing so hard it ripped the radio out of the interior of the car but the other teams checked on him immediately and knew he was okay. We couldn't say the same for Ryan Newman initially. Right. Because it became readily apparent as, uh, as Ryan wasn't radioing back that he was, he was in trouble. And for a good few hours as he was being taken directly to uh, Halifax uh, Medical Center in Daytona Beach where if an accident is severe enough and you're going straight to Halifax, that's never a good sign. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that he wasn't out of the car when they announced that that was going to happen. Like, he was still in the car. Not only was he still in the car, they had erected screens around his car, which they only put those in place when things are bad. Because uh, when the accident happened and they got through most of the finish, which I'm pretty sure we'll get to talk about later... But when they, when they cut the commercial and came back, the first shot was an aerial shot from a helicopter, and it was them riding the car back onto its wheels. And that's when my stomach just just sunk. Because seeing the top of that car, like, it was... It was hard to look at because it was barely recognizable. It was... It had to be six to... Uh, 
a whole foot shorter than it initially was before the accident. Yeah, I mean, well, I know someone else had seen the wreckage in person who was at the track and was tweeting about it, and they said, like, when you see a lot of crashes, you look at the crash and you th- or you look at the remains of the car, and you're thinking, you know, wow, you're not thinking just he thought immediately he was just sick looking yeah. at the car because right. not only was it hit in the driver's side you know roof and a pillar it was launched up into the air and came back down on its roof yeah and not only that we're not even talking about the initial hit with the wall was extraordinary that was bad enough that, yeah, was, that was a bad hit that was a bad this... hit where it hit so hard I, I heard some people talking about you know why the car flipped that didn't flip aerodynamically. That hit that flip because it hit the wall with so much force it had nowhere to go but up. Yeah. Right. And and it, by it then the car was hit. already compromised and had two further hits. Yeah, and it was the second hit where LaJoy's car struck Newman's car that really had us all worried. It brought us back to to February eighteenth, two thousand one. Mike Joy was on the call of that race. There was another crash at the end. They signed off not knowing if the driver involved was okay. And and ultimately, because I can remember playing video games after the race when my mom called me out and called me to the living room to tell me that Dale Earnhardt Sr. had died in the final lap of the final corner of the Daytona 500. And for... And until NASCAR called a press conference to announce that Ryan Newman was was seriously but hadn't suffered life-threatening injuries, we all thought for a couple of hours that we were just waiting for the worst news to come. Yeah, yeah and especially and when, never- you know, Fox had to sign off kind of prematurely because the race had run well into overtime. It had. But you could hear it, you could see it in Jeff Gordon and Mike Joy's, well, you know, expressions. Like the the that... initial reaction when they saw the accident for the first time, like the the the, the impact of LaJoy, because they had missed it during the finish too. Their mm-hmm. first instance of seeing it was when they finally showed the replay in slow motion on the broadcast. And it was like what their their initials was like, whoa, and and it it was like oxygen got sucked out of the broadcast booth because they, they that moment they realized the gravity of the incident they just watched yeah it was very apparent when denny hamlin the winner of the race you know the team celebrating as if they but once they realized the severity of what was happening right near them then it really set in and, and yeah hamlin, I mean, hamlin like hamlin was in victory lane and he saw it you, you could see him watching the incident for the first time and you see his eyes go big and then it's like he could barely get through his, you know, he won the Daytona 500 and he could barely do his interview. Right. I, I, I'm amazed that they would ask Ryan Blaney to have an interview so soon yeah. after that. Yeah, and he was clear, he was deeply shaken up. He's, right. as far as we know, because we, uh, Bubba Wallace, a fellow competitor we've talked about many a time, <laughs> he was talking on Twitter because, you know, a bunch of drivers have come and, you know, talked to Blaney like, that's racing. It's not your fault. Right. Because Blaney is, Blaney was really shaken up after the race and clearly, you know, in the proceed- the following days. 
and I can, and obviously I'm, I'm thinking a lot about how this will affect Blaney and LaJoy because I think back to, obviously, one of the first episodes I ever listened to was when we talked about how Sage Karam was dealing with the trauma of being involved in Justin Wilson's freak accident that took his life. And if things had gone the worst, I could only imagine that Ryan Blaney and Corey LaJoy, who you could see him after yeah. he climbed out of his car, LaJoy. just on his knees thinking, what has happened? Yeah, LaJoy uh, talked about it. He posted on social media. He got out of the car and just collapsed. The wind was completely knocked out of him. The front of his car is, you know, you can see pictures of it on the internet. It's also very, very bad. And obviously very scary and you're, and ultimately the worst news did not come later that evening. Uh, NASCAR did announce that Ryan Newman's injuries were serious, but not life threatening. And today as we're recording February 19th, Ryan Newman, 42 hours later is out of the hospital with his children. Yeah. Um, it is nothing short of a miracle. He's one tough son of a bitch. <laughs> he really, really is. is. Um, you know, that was the worst. You know, we've watched NASCAR. As I said, you know, we've seen really awful NASCAR crashes before. And we've kind of known right away, like, you know, they're okay. Mm-hmm. And at worst, like, okay, there's nothing life-threatening. We had to wait a very long time to find out about Newman's condition, and I haven't felt that feeling after a NASCAR race since, as you mentioned, you know, February yeah. 2001. And, like, right. so much has changed since that day. The fact that, you know, after Fox went off the air, NASCAR on their website, they have a live feed into the press conference room. Like, you could just sit there and wait out the time, looking at that empty podium, just waiting for a NASCAR official, and it, in this case it was Steve O'Donnell, to come out and give an announcement. Yeah. I mean, it's a feeling that none of us missed, whether it was, you know, someone like ESPN's Ryan McGee, who before ESPN devo- divested itself of all of his NASCAR coverage, was a is a, still a devoted NASCAR guy. And he said himself, like, it brought back a lot of feelings that he did not miss. Well, it's like what happened, you know, we go back to F1 with what happened with with Jules. There's been an entire generation of fans that has watched and not had to go through this. Right. And now, unfortunately, this is how NASCAR, a sport that has been flagging in mainstream popularity in the United States, has gotten back into the mainstream that one of its veteran drivers who's been a integral part of the sport for 20 years. And the thing is, it's a point to be made that as many of the drivers of his generation are calling it a career fairly early, earlier than their predecessors would have, mm-hmm. Ryan Newman's still there. Yeah. And, like and he was still competitive. Same, he was in the same rookie class as Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy yeah. Johnson, who is announcing that this will be his last full-time season, and we'd likely seen him drive his last Daytona 500. Yeah, and meanwhile, Newman was experiencing somewhat of a, a second career boost with Roush. Right. 
Absolutely. Um, so I think I think we all echo a lot of people's sentiments in expressing how grateful we are that this did not end up much worse. We're very grateful that Ryan Newman is already out of hospital and is recovering much, much better than anticipated to the point where you realistically think he may be back in a car sooner rather than later. And even if he ultimately decides, you know, hey, this might be the last race I drive, you know, I wish him, we certainly wish him all the best. You know, he's gone through a tough time having gone through a divorce just a week before the race had even gone through to add another another strange wrinkle to this incredible story that him and his wife had separated after nearly 16 years. So I'm, we're certainly wishing him all the best. Um, Ryan, if you happen to be listening, uh, we're, we hope you keep fooling through, and if you're if you're able to get back in a car soon, we'll wishing you all the best. Um, let's let's talk about super speedway racing in NASCAR because Cam, there's been there's I, been some discourse in many from many people from many places on the state of super speedway racing. It really has. Including from people we know. Including from people we know. Right. So, I think the big misconception about NASCAR is that, you know, people only watch NASCAR races to go see a crash. I mean, I can't speak for everybody else, but I know I certainly don't. I know the rest of us don't. Mm -hmm. I know we don't watch racing for the crashes. But, Cam, you kind of... I think we kind of get the feeling that, like, NASCAR kind of builds its culture around the excitement and unpredictability of super speedway racing. But with that, with that unpredictability, with that close competitive action that we have at tracks Daytona and Talladega, that with the cars racing so close, they also glorify the risk of the multi-car accidents and even smaller accidents such as this one look at an uh look at a nascar commercial from the last couple of years for one of these super speedway races and what do you see in those commercials all the time multi-car pileup multi-car pileup and the the racing on the super speedways is structured in such a way and deliberately so, because as we know, we got away from this for a couple of years with the tandem drafting. Right. Which, of course, came up on the last show because that has been more or less legislated out of NASCAR via technical changes. Right. We but, saw it We saw it come back into play in the uh, the exhibition race, the Bush exactly. Clash, because there were so many wrecks that, that the broadcasters in the series just decided... Look, we don't care if you tandem draft. I know it's illegal, but we just want to finish this race. Yeah, because normally you're not allowed to lock bumpers, and they have developed the cooling system on these cars that if you lock bumpers, it will start pushing water out of the cooling system, and eventually you will blow your engine. A car with the front of the car torn up was pushed by a car with the side torn up. That's how. That was the state. That's the, the and that's the power. Crash. That's the power of the tandem draft as well. 
that those yeah. two trashed cars drove away from the field. Those right. briefly circling back to to NASCAR, you know, marketing itself off those accidents. It, it's it has sort of hurt NASCAR in a way where when this accident happened, I saw a lot of fans on social media who seemed like newer fans pretty much claim that NASCAR doesn't care about the driver's safety, that they don't do anything to protect the drivers. I would I would disagree with that because I will say I saw some, in fact, of people in my DMs, you know who you are, who were saying, well, it's not a product of the racing. They need to make the cars safer. There isn't a car on earth, I don't think, that would have no. held up to that crash as well as Newman's did because even though the roll cage collapsed, Show me a material that's going to hold in a roll cage against a 3,400-pound stock car hitting it at full speed. Yeah, Right. Like, a NASCAR don't... stock car is not meant to take an impact like that right at the component where the driver's head Quite sits. literally, yeah. As we said, as we talked about, you know, post-race, that is the worst-case scenario impact. And really Newman, is. as we know, escaped relatively unhurt. Now like we know that, he's out of the he's out of the like, hospital. There, there is very few, maybe even no other vehicle I'd rather have a really massive accident in than a than a Cup Series stock car. Yeah, right. And but the, the thing problem is, with though, that, though, they yeah because they make the car so safe. It's you take the safety of the competitors for granted sometimes you know you build an indestructible car nothing can can happen to these drivers when that's clearly not the case yeah we saw that i mean racing on super speedways has always been aggressive and that's an understatement but since austin dillon's crash in 2015 where you think oh no and then he just climbs out of the car effectively unhurt since then we've seen a lot of really dangerous you know fate of the universe on the line blocks that end up in huge crashes i remember that and i and i also think back to two years ago austin dillon turns eric almarola around with two corners to go to win the daytona 500 yeah and that's no penalty you know, no talked about it where he's like if someone blocks me i'm just gonna drive through him deliberately yeah. you can also and- go back to 2009 Brad Keselowski holds the yellow line because he knows if if he goes below it, they'll penalize him. So he ends up turning Carl Edwards around and into the fence. Yeah. And after all of these other crashes, you know, everyone kind of walked away like walked away pretty much uninjured. Right. And it's kind of it's created this lack of respect between the drivers and it isn't helped by the fact that with this current generation car it's just two by two bumper to bumper all the way down and the thing is now they have structured it so not just the big tracks but every speedway pretty much will race like this yeah that they want pack racing everywhere they want pack racing at charlotte they want it at atlanta they they want it pretty much anywhere that they can get it. Well, like, and as much as we can say that these aren't single car accidents, it's we we can't come in with that notion of you know Rusty Wallace over thirty years ago where like, these cars don't you know go up in the air by themselves. Like while all these accidents are multi car accidents, the series is set you know 
the regulations in a way where you're gonna have these multi-car accidents no matter how you race yeah. these cars yeah if on these tracks if one person has an issue it's everyone's issue and, and you can't you can't hit the brakes you can't make a maneuver if someone crashes in front of you you're along for the ride and one thing that really illustrates this point is this when i first learned that dale senior had died i thought to myself how could that have happened the crash wasn't that bad i mean okay yes it was a head-on impact but from, uh, from it the looked, outside, looking. but it wasn't. But it wasn't as if the car was, you know, flipping and being torn apart and all that stuff. It didn't look as severe as some incidents like the big one that happened just an hour before then. Yeah. And something really set in with me that I thought, like, how could Ryan Newman have been in this spot when, at first glance, his wreck didn't look all that bad. And you think to yourself, if a car going head-on into the wall with such force that it flips over and gets airborne is not all that bad. <laughs> yeah, because you watch these cars, and when they flip and they are burning off all this energy, it's a good thing. Yep. Whereas, you know, Newman's impact, Newman's initial impact with the wall was very, very heavy. Again, the car had nowhere else to go but up. Yeah. And that's with all of the aerodynamic aids they have on the top side of these cars to keep them on the ground. They didn't even have a chance to deploy because the initial force of the impact was so violent. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, car wasn't backwards when it when it went up in the air at first. It was it was side on, so like those devices don't help you when you're going sideways. Yeah. And one other thing is that I I did read a very good article on racingreference.info from a NASCAR man who you also may know from his uh, from his documentaries that he posts on YouTube, um, who wrote about how Ryan Newman's been basically, you know, trying to speak out about how dangerous this super speedway pack racing has been for over a decade. And ultimately, um, he spoke, but nothing ended up improving. And it's only when confronted with a life-threatening crash like this, that people are actually starting to think about it. Look, if NASCAR didn't change course when their most popular driver for damn near 20 years, Dale Earnhardt Jr., had to hang it up because he had been brain damaged so many times from so many accidents, what more is going to get them to correct course on you know manufacturing racing that produces these kinds of crashes short of someone losing their life their their sponsors there's the broadcasters they have to say no like they have to say no and and we know nascar as well they've taken uh newman and lajoy's cards back to their technology center for analysis but you know you're not really going to make the cars much safer now are you yeah you have to you have to try and look at you know the racing itself. Yeah, the only way you can make that accident safer is by not having that accident at all. Yeah. Right. And I recall um, I recall watching one of NASCAR Man's recent documentaries, and they included a clip of Bobby Allison uh, talking during 1988 Speed Weeks. That was, of course, the first Daytona Speed Weeks where NASCAR mandated carburetor restrictor plates after Allison's car 
almost went into the grandstands at Talladega nine months prior. Mm-hmm. And Allison made a good point. It's just like, you know, I don't know if the carburetor restrictor plate, which is what they had at the car to slow the cars down at the time. Obviously, they couldn't completely overhaul the regulation. But, you know, with you're thinking like maybe a maybe smaller engine with a smaller carburetor might be more in line with what the automotive industry is trying to do. And ultimately, that may be what the Gen 7 car that's going to launch next year uh, may end up being. Or may they maybe they may not go with it. I, I don't know what if there is a quick fix to this. Like, honestly, the only thing I hope for is that NASCAR tries to resolve this. Like, the only wrong move NASCAR can make right now is to not do anything. Yeah. NASCAR's got a lot of bad optics problems at his is. You only need to look at the man who got his own celebratory pace lap on Sunday before the race was rained out. By the way, the race was rain delayed to Monday. One <laughs> of the many some, uh, things that was forgotten. Some some divine karma, I would say. But Pretty I mean, much. when NASCAR's public perception is, you know, because we're, you know, every one of my family really watches racing, but putting the regular news on and the first story is Ryan Newman's fiery crash at the end of Daytona 500. And we're guilty about it because we're leading the show with it. Yeah. Because the thing is, people, people expect us to talk about it. That's kind of the problem. Yeah, that's the difference. When you when you don't expect the, the series whatsoever to appear on the news, and the first thing you see about the series is someone upside down being hit in the roof, it's not a good look. When yeah, yeah. the BBC is reporting about NASCAR, and they never report about NASCAR. No. And it's about Newman's crash, it's not a good look. And that's how you get a series where people perceive it to be only about the crashes. Yeah. Look. And however true or untrue that is, that's the public perception that NASCAR has created in glorifying these crashes. Yeah. It's that. I mean, you could also tie it back into baseball only being in the mainstream headlines because of Ooh. a massive... Um, inter-team espionage scandal <laughs> and that's the only way you're seeing it uh get any of the share of the limelight where basketball and football dominate the mainstream in american sporting landscape oh, well and another thing as well because i talked with a couple of people about this that you know super speedway racing was not like this a lot because you know when we talk about you know the gen 4 and cars prior to that they weren't right. just stuck to each other all the way down the field there was no, a little bit weren't. more there was a little yeah. bit more room between yeah, the cars you could make a move without just being stuck in the pack yeah there were there were looser packs there were more than one packs in races where you yes you had the option to drop back to the you know drop back to the back if you want to but there was inherent risk in doing that and if you wanted to try to make your way up to the front it was hard but there was still space to make you, room yeah, to get you up had there dale earnhardt moving from what 18th to first in his final win in the final restrictor plate race before his crash. Yeah. I think obviously if we haven't said enough, NASCAR is a long way to go to fix this. And my hope is that Ryan Newman can continue what is already a very speedy recovery. Yeah. We know, uh, we know to get back into his car. We know he won't be in the six for Las Vegas, at least. We know that it will be right. Ross Chastain 
Watermelon Man. Yeah, and, uh, very good, a very uh, good story to come out of uh, an unfortunate development because if you know the story of Ross Chastain, a man who came as a watermelon farmer and has had his share of of ridiculous uh, setbacks in his career, uh, to get an opportunity like this, uh, we really hope that he's able to do that to wasn't he the one where where kevin harvick said that's why after harvick moved him chastain dumped him in retaliation and harvick said he that's why he's never going to be driving one of these cars well and then one and one a following weekend chastain is a very likable driver and it's good that he is getting an opportunity be it under these awful circumstances but again ryan newman is obviously making a much swifter recovery than any of us could have ever expected and if he ulti- if he does decide that he wants to race again and knowing his character i think he will want to race again then we uh and we wish him all the best to him mm-hmm. and to his family uh we will take a quick com- We'll take a quick musical break, and we will be back to talk about a race that almost never happened, but was ultimately dominated by one man. So I'll let Cam excuse himself for a few minutes while we talk about the Formula E Mexico City Prix. Right out. you feel any better that was a very good pole position for my Super Formula history for 15 seasons. The guy is really good as a racing driver, in case y'all didn't know. Yeah, casual Uh, reminder that he, you know, won Le Mans a few times, was basically Audi's ace in the hole for a couple years. Yeah. But yes, Andre Lauder starts from pole position at the Mexico City pre-race that... uh, King, to my knowledge, um, there was concerns about the track and practice yes, when Daniel Lapp had a wreck. Yes, yes, we need to go back, back to practice where uh, apps. Alan incident, Iverson quotes go here. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Lapp's incident was unrelated. We'll get to that briefly, but reports from the track, including from friend of the show Hazel Southwell, was. Uh, the racing surface was breaking up, and it was from, uh, partially from the new additions of the circuit, where, like, the racing surface was just starting to come up, and there were doubts on whether the race would be able to be held that day. But, uh, you know, 
absence of it, he had a technical issue, got pretty much sent straight into the wall, and he had to be sent to the he had to be sent to a hospital because uh, the G meter on his car went off. And as you know, mandatory precaution, you have to go to the hospital. Mm. Yes, and it was pretty clear that apt apt wouldn't be back for qualifying didn't know if he would be cleared for the race or if he would even be released from the hospital for the race but ultimately he did go on to race and uh spoiler did not go so well he retired uh he was one of a number of retirements in this race though i do find it hilarious that daniel apt was forced to miss qualifying and had to start from the back where he was alongside his teammate, Lucas Degrassi, who got to participate in qualifying. So, in qualifying, it was Andre Lauderer starting first, Mitch Evans starting on the outside of the front row. This becomes important later. Uh, the spot that Pascal Verline would have taken was occupied by Nick DeVries because Pascal Verline and Jerome D'Ambrosio were sent to the back of the field. And this, of course, becomes important later. Um, so we get to the start of the race. Lauder gets a fine start. Evans gets a better start. Evans comes out at the inside and makes a brave move and doing so blocks Lauder off. And Lauder then hits Sam Bird's car, which then pushes him into the barriers and inflicts him with wing damage. As Lauder is trying to get the wing damage under control, he accidentally takes out a signpost and his race is over after just 11 laps on the board. What apparently happened is a piece of bodywork after I believe the hit with Bird got stuck in the suspension arms. Which isn't very good. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of spiraled from there. Pace yeah, was good. The pace was good, guys. <laughs> this was a wild race that saw a lot of uh, top contenders uh, falling victim to, uh, to pitfalls on a number of varieties, including... The Mercedes Formula E team, where both Nick DeVries and Stoffel Van Dorn each looked like they had a shot at the podium. Let's talk about Nick DeVries and uh, the oh, incident that's tearing up. Uh, this that's was tearing this was ballsy at best. Yavaka, if you're listening, we're sorry that this had to happen to your boys. Yeah, um, DeVries tries to go like last second on the brakes around the outside of someone locks Antonio his front tires. Yeah. Outside of, uh, Costa turns his front tires into uh, virtual racing tires and locks up straight into a wall. Yeah. So that ends, that effectively ends both DeVries race and ends friends' chances of competing for a podium to make matters worse. Yes, friends the, would be disqualified for an energy usage infringement. He would not be the yes, only one. The, the Dutch taken out in one foul swoop. Boy, it's... Nigel Powers would be proud. <laughs> um, things did not get much better towards the end of the race as Stoffel Van Dorn was running fifth. 
when trying to fend off a hard-charging Alexander Sims, um, he ends up going into the Marvels and crashing off on his own, which leads him to uh, to end up finishing the... He was classified. Uh, he ended up not finishing the race. Um, he completed only 35 laps out of the 36. So both Mercedes cars out of the points. And for Van Dorn, who was your points leader going into this, uh, not not a good development, to say the least. No. Uh, to say nothing for Virgin, for Virgin Racing, who, uh, as we mentioned, Friends got taken out by DeVries, and then Sam Bird from second place drops it from second as he was fighting with Antonio Felix da Costa, and he great battle that saw bird try and take the attack mode DaCosta try and pass him they go around the Peraltada. it's looking like it's a good fight but bird also catches the marbles and drops it into turn three and his race is over poor Sam bird this this race was wild yeah it I... was <laughs> It was pretty wild. We had multiple incidents among top contenders. We had multiple cars charge all the way from deep in the field to score points. And out of all this, we had a pretty convincing winner because rising above the chaos, including some that was partially of his own making, Mitch Evans takes his second career Formula E victory and with it the championship lead. Yeah, from the first lap, Evans was gone. Uh, he was rarely seen on the cameras, except, you know, at key points of the race. And didn't make any mistakes. Uh, very convincing win from Mitch Evans. I hope he stubs his fucking toe. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we haven't had good, like, genuine Mitch Evans disdain in this podcast in a number of years. Yeah, it was it was like his time in GP three the last time someone was this mad at Mitch Evans. I not no um, no nah, nah, he loses the Mitch Bra nickname. He's now Bitch Evans. Oh, he's back to being Bitch Evans. Uh, if anybody at Panasonic Jaguar Racing is listening, uh, we, well, we I said no. We. we, we uh, we, uh, the, the love is not shared all the way across the members <laughs> the of this podcast. opinions expressed by some Motorsport 101 co-hosts are, are not necessarily those of Motorsport 101 in the hall. But Evans has been in form ever since getting that first win at Rome. And now he's first in the points. He's leading the championship. It's still anybody's ball game. But I want to yeah, jump yeah, ahead a bit. He's leading because the championship by a single point. That's I was because say, Alexander Sims. <laughs> Let's talk about Alexander Sims going from 18th on the grid. And while nobody is talking about him clawing his way through the field, he ends up squeaking out that fifth place finish. Oh, Lord. Like, it is... Like, it's... He... he has a tremendous finish but like looking down through the rest of the championship you have seven different teams in the top seven of the drivers championship i know it's amazing you, you don't have to take your anger out like on this in chat <laughs> oh man but um look we've got so your finishing order for this Mexico City Prix, again, Mitch Evans, second career victory, back-to-back podiums. 
Uh, second win for the Jaguar team. Wins by 4.2 seconds over Antonio Felix DaCosta in second. Uh, Sebastian Buemi finally, finally on the board this year in 2020. He scores a third-place finish. And you kind of feel like if the bad luck is behind him, Sebastian Buemi is going to start to go on a tear. Yes. Um, John Eric Vern finishes fourth up. One of the stories about the race, Cheetah, you know? finally. Finally Tachita, back up to the top of the grid. Tachita finally qualified decent enough. DaCosta admitted himself that his qualifying pace needs improvement, but, you know, they hung around the points all day, and most importantly, they didn't snip at each other, which mm. I think was a drastic improvement over the last time. Yep, it, drastic improvement. Uh, I mean, during the race... At Tachita, we have to talk about the situation near the end of the race with Antonio Felix Acosta and Jean Arnaud, yeah. where, mm-hmm. uh, where Antonio Felix Acosta was told over the radio to let Jev through, and he fought it first, and eventually he let Jev through. Then decided, "Hey, I did what I was told. Time to race Jev again." <laughs> right. He followed also- the team orders to the letter. <laughs> <laughs> And also, team um, orders good. the team that's also run by the lead driver and two-time yes, and reigning series noted champion. That, uh, it is it is partly owned by John Eric Byrne, and at the time, Antonio Antonio Felix Acosta was not only faster on track but had more usable energy left. Yep. It's also uh, it's worth noting some wholesome content that just got posted on Instagram. Um, Ryan Newman is hanging out with Martin Truex Jr. right now. Oh, that's that's excellent. That is a good call. Truex, uh, very happy to see my fishing buddy. <laughs> uh, that's that's good to hear. Both Tachitas um, in the top four. Alex Sims finishes fifth, gets uh, gets the fastest lap bonus point. And with that, we'll talk about the championship implications a bit. Uh, good day for him to come back from that far, as well as Lucas Degrassi. Started 15th, came back to finish sits very Quiet day considering, you know, his teammate retired. Oliver Rowland finishing seventh, Eduardo Matara in eighth. And yeah, we mentioned both Mahindras got sent to the back for uh, for Gearbots penalties. Pascal Verline did not finish the race in ninth. That was meant to be James Collado, but because James Collado also had an energy usage infringement, that promoted Verline to ninth and Ambrosio to tenth. So from the back of the grid to the points, both Mahindras got in. Have yourself a day. <laughs> Double points. Oh, so the rest, yeah. The rest of the finishers, uh, Matt C. Gunther coming down from that uh, from that high of his first career win in 11th. Brendan Hartley in 12th. Oliver Turvey in 13th. Neil Yanni, last of the finishers in 14th. Stoffel Van Dorn finished uh, one lap down. There were, uh, there were, I want to say there one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight retirements and seven or eight retirements. It's a lot of retirements. Yeah, a lot of Sam retirements. Bird. Sam yeah. Bird had his Remember accident. how, like, after race one, when Mercedes and Porsche were both on the podium, we're like, well, this is going pretty well. Yeah, the, the, proceed, the, the following races haven't gone so well. But I mean, in terms of, say, both, both the Porsche Both are on cars. the pace. Yeah, overall on pace, Porsche cars and the Mercedes cars are up there. They they 
they are just having a hell of a growing pain on the team side of things. Right. Yeah, DeVries is... made a DeVries made an uncharacteristic rookie mistake. Uh, Lauderer was left with nowhere to go on the first corner. Uh, something with Neil Yanni and these Formula E Yeah, he cars got an uh, infringement penalty as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it seems like the growing into Formula E, because it's a very weird form of motorsport where it is part single-seater, part touring car. Uh, like, I think Lauderer admitted that he, he kind of messed up his start. He didn't get a, as good of as a jump off the line as he wanted to, where even Lauder, who's, you know, been in this series for a number of seasons, it getting to grips as a team in Formula E is extremely difficult. Uh, it, it will probably take the rest of the season to be on par with, uh, you know, Jaguar or BMW, that you could be consistently in the podium places throughout the season because that's how you win a championship here where it's yeah. a good old-fashioned championship where consistency is key just ask audi who started off a couple of years absolutely awful and had to try and win the championship in the last race yep and they for mo most times they were too far back to get it done the other retirements were, of course, Sam Bird, Daniel App, Ching La Ma, Nick DeVries, Andre Lauderer, Felipe Massa, and, Bo and Nico Muller were both early retirements, and two disqualifications, the aforementioned Collado and Friends. A um, lot of carnage in this one from, uh, from start to finish. How does this impact the championship? Well, as we mentioned, Mitch Evans leads, but only by a single point over Sims, 47 to 46. Antonio Felix da Costa, with his two second-place finishes, now moves up to third, and he's only eight points out of the lead. Sofo Van Dorn dropped three places, but he's still just nine points out of it in fourth on 38 points. Lucas Degrassi is fifth on 32. Bird is sixth on 28. Same as Roland. The tiebreaker is Bird's victory um, in the season opener in Adria. Matsy Gunther is 8th with 25 points just from his victory in Santiago. Edo Matara in ninth on 22. Lauder 10th on 21. Then DeVries on 18. Verne on 16. Buemi on 15. Verlon on 14. Friends and Collado on 10 apiece. Apt with 8. D'Ambrosio with 3. Moss and Hartley with 2 apiece. All others non-scoring. Team's Championship. BMW Andretti. Still holding on to the top spot by 14 <laughs> points, 71 to 57 over Jaguar. Mercedes-Benz in third on 56. Tachita fourth on 455. Nissan Edams fifth on 43. Audi with 40. Virgin with 38. Venturi with 24. Porsche with 21. Mahindra with 17. Dragon with just two points. And Neo triple three. New electric TCR entrance, Neo triple three. Uh, with still just the zero points. Formula E will be back in, wow, two weeks' time. Yes, two weeks' time. It's time, to, it's time to Marrakesh the fever. <laughs> I know we're all very excited about the Marrakesh rookie test because that's clearly the most important part of Marrakesh weekend. Ooh, I'm going to just not say anything. <laughs> She's got, Jamie's going to do good in the Jaguar. 
and Alice Powell is going to do good in the Envision Virgin Audi. Uh, Overall, good race. If by now the uh, the full race replay should be up on the Formula E YouTube channel, I highly recommend going out of your way to see it. Maybe if you're not the world's biggest Porsche fan. Uh, Just say that in some caution. If it'll make you feel better, can we talk about some Formula One testing? Oh, Lord, Formula One. (laughs) I don't know if it'll make me feel better. (laughs) Yeah, we've got a... We had our... We've got all of the cars launched, and today, as of the day of recording, uh, we had our first day of testing, which has been so rigorous that it's put my partner to sleep. You can probably hear him snoring in the background. Though, I, I think we need to start off how testing started off, with us realizing that we have been bamboozled, hoodwinked, run astray by one team in the field. Hey, we uh-huh. have Mercedes at home. <laughs> Racing point, you pulled a sneaky on us. Because last um, week, when Racing Point launched their car in Austria, including that launch being leaked by the head, (laughs) the car that was launched and leaked was not the car that arrived in Barcelona. Nope. Uh, The car that arrived in Barcelona looked a lot like last year's Mercedes W10. Oh, no. No. Not a lot like (laughs) last year's Mercedes it is it's a palette swap it's a palette swap um you know a lot of people like to take the piss out of haas for basically making uh 70 75 percent ferrari clone (laughs) it's a mercedes w10 it's a mercedes w10d the b came in uh, in germany the c came in japan the d is here in testing and it's painted pink. Yep. With uh, with a lot less blue because Sport Pesa, as it turns out, you know, maybe didn't have the funds to uh, to overreach that much sponsorship. But it's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah Sport Racing Pesa point. is like, Sport Pesa openly does not condone cloning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just, just the, the thing that struck me when I saw this, I saw a really, like, uh, shitty phone camera from 2005 picture of this at first. It was like, I went with a Mercedes-style nose. And then I saw a better picture of it. Oh, they just went with a Mercedes. <laughs> um, yeah, like, other than the side pod area, it is a literal clone of the W10. And, like, on track, it might as well be a Mercedes. It's fast! It's so it's, fast. It it's is really... It is the factory Mercedes 1-2, then Sergio Perez, and then everybody else. Did, like, did Charlie, Racing Point that. just fucking snipe their way into the big three? Is it the big four now? Yeah, and considering they've got all that daddy stroll money uh, that they could be primed to position. More for on a big some move stroll up. money later. <laughs> yeah, Charlie, I know you're listening in because we see you listening in. I've got to say, you might want to put a cheeky tenor or a cheeky tender on hit on your boy finishing out the podium in Canada this year. Oh come on! He's in a Mercedes well, and he's still gonna get knocked out in Q one. Well, we we Look. do. I do have to admit, there's a reason why it's specifically said that it was Sergio Perez in third because Lance Stroll, bless his heart, 
bless his heart, he tried. He was the second off of Sergio Perez last time I looked at the timing scoring. On, well, it's I believe, the same of compound of tire as well. And ultimately, it's that time of year where we draw way too much conjecture into just the lap times posted in the testing. So it's time for way too early preseason predictions. Um, one thing that's not too early to predict is, hey, Mercedes still looks good with all their Ineos money and their awkwardly placed maroon splotches of paint at the top yeah, of the box. Um, tell me if you've heard this one before. The Mercedes ran like a train in testing. They had, I believe, um, 173 laps split between Valtteri and Hamilton. The car looks like it's nailed to the road. I don't think they had any reliability issues. Are you guys ready for 2019S? Are we ready for New Game Plus 2019 edition? Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, and even, like, as far as we know, the Red Bull is going to be completely different next week. And yeah. we definitely and know it. Ferrari. We definitely know Ferrari was bullshitting because Ferrari sh- did not show their hand at all. Yeah, from but, what I understand, Ferrari and Red Bull are not finished, and they will bring a new upgrade package for the second portion of the test. But might I also say, from what we saw on the first day of testing, and again, you may listen back to this with the benefit of hindsight and think, "Wow, these guys don't know what they're talking about." But on the first day, at least. It looked like Max Verstappen had all of his hands full, including the hands he doesn't have, because Max Verstappen is a Goro from Mortal Kombat, and he couldn't even keep that car under control. Yeah, like, it's not a debate. The Red Bull might be fast, and he said it's fast, and it was set in fast times. But it's a twitchy boy. Yeah, like, I... Visibly so. it's fast, but can it can it be fast over race distance? Can you keep that thing under control for a whole Grand Prix distance? Juan Pablo Montoya once described Nui's MP420 as undrivable but stupidly quick. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we'll see how that develops. Um, two teams we have liked to uh, to rip on over these uh, over these last twenty four months. Um, Cam, Renault might be okay. Uh, Renault, from what I, Renault from ran what I okay. They're doing, their, they, they're doing ran some okay. interesting stuff with their car. Yeah, um, that holy cape, Batman. The whole so, underside of the front of their car is, is a, a cape, which initially appeared on the Mercedes. It's now kind of spread across the whole grid. Renault has the most extreme one by a good margin. Renault are yeah. going all in on this on this idea. Yeah, this is the fifth year of the five year plan, and you know you don't you don't want to risk uh, blowing another year if you're drivers primes. I'm just throwing that out there, especially when one of your test drivers is out here throwing up Kobe tribute helmets for preseason testing. Yeah, which <laughs> which Croft then entered ultra boomer mode over. Yes, yes, both. Crofty and Kravitz fail to realize what that helmet meant, even though uh, Ted was close enough to, to read it. He said, oh, it says Mama Mentality. Crofty replies back, oh, is that replacing the Honey Badger? And clowns! Much- <laughs> fucking clowns. 
Put some respect much, on Kobe Bryant's name. They 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 are like, oh, that's a weird helmet. Wonder if they're gonna, he's gonna wear it for the rest of the season. They move on, and then later on, after the the wave upon wave of social media <laughs> responses came in. Ted Kravitz tries to backpedal. It's like, oh, I, I, I couldn't read the helmet properly. I didn't see the, the KB24 on it. I didn't know it was what? a Kobe okay, Bryant tribute helmet. Whomst the fuck else on earth had the the motto of the Mamba mentality? Whomst the fuck else? Come on. Admit you made oh, a mistake. On. Admit you didn't fucking know. Come on, Kravitz and Crofty, you should have watched with us on the Motorsport 101 Discord, the NBA All-Star game. <laughs> y'all ever just be in y'all ever just be an exhibition game for three games and then game seven of the NBA finals in the fourth quarter? <laughs> uh, but getting getting back on topic. Last week, Cyril Invitable made it clear that this, when they meant that this is the fifth year of a five-year plan, they were serious. Most of their sponsorship deals are going to expire at the end of the year. They're all in on this. They have to produce. They have to produce this year. Yeah, and of course, with the fact that McLaren, their customer team, is running very well, led a fair portion of the day, and has side pods that are half the size of the factory Renault team. With no reliability issues. And the fact that Racing Point brought a W10D. They really... They have to be very worried this year. Yeah, I should note they have some big name sponsors. Like one, uh, Microsoft. Which I'm pretty sure Microsoft is like, hey. End of this year, we pretty much don't need you anymore. We got a new Xbox coming out. Um, we don't, we need, don't need your car in the next Forza. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, Renault, Renault, I think are maybe under the most pressure out of everyone in the midfield to produce this year. Yeah. Cause it's, it's not only like a lot, I mean, I wouldn't say a lot of people, everyone's jobs on the line here. Cause I'm pretty sure if they don't produce some plugs are getting pulled, especially when the Alliance is in a mm, not very good state. Yeah. Hashtag Carlos going to do crimes. Um, Hashtag Carlos going to do crimes. And the fact that, uh, they fired pretty much every every head of every technical department and installed new ones for this car. Yep. Oh Lord. Got gotta love gotta, gotta love this crunch time year, guys. Crunch time year. Um, Good luck beating the W ten D guys. <laughs> I know I know I know as as a friend of mine had once said that uh, Formula One uh, car design is not a coloring book, but that Alpha Tori though, that Alpha Tori, that yeah, looks Alpha Tori, nice. yeah, looks nice. Um, reminiscent of early two thousands compact Williams. Yeah, but car had a few issues during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, they got it back out on track. I don't think they've shown their true pace yet. Um, they didn't really set a representative time. Uh, other teams, McLaren, as mentioned. Looking very solid. McLaren looks solid. Uh, what and, uh, did we make of Alfa Romeo Fresh with Williams Racing? <laughs> yeah, I was about I was about to talk about them. Williams might be comparatively speaking okay. I'm not going to tell you that they're going to be back to their '90s dynasty, but compared to where they were this time last year, 
they are yeah. in a much better place. Williams, the Williams looks like it has been in the same town as a wind tunnel this year, which is a <laughs> damn improvement from last year. Uh, so, it doesn't even have to be a wind tunnel with artisanal oxygen bar air. Yeah, like so, this uh, the engine cover kind of looks big, <laughs> but otherwise the car looks it looks okay. It looks like it looks like it doesn't have to fluke its way into points. It doesn't have to have race. multiple skies, multiple galaxies collapse upon the race weekend to score a single point. So, big question. Did the promotion take? Are they out of F2 and into Formula 1.5? I think they're promoting... I think they promoted themselves from F1.999 up to maybe <laughs> F1.6. We're going to have to wait and see... <laughs> Yeah, we'll Where have to wait are. and see. You will have to wait and see, and ultimately, um, we'll need to wait until at least a few races in to determine how they ultimately shake out the pecking order. Um, uh, and hey, it was I'll... good to see Robert Kubica back. Newly yep. minted BMW DTM driver Robert Kubica might had. Yep, uh, Alpha looked good. That car, Alpha that livery, so pretty. Did mm. Haas look good? Uh, Haas looked, uh, Haas looked, uh, um, they were there. <laughs> it's, we joke about how they copy Ferraris and well, I think they copied the SF nineties terminal understeer because watching that oh, car on track, no. it, it had a lot of trouble finding apexes. Uh, Magnuson went off a couple of times. It might have some work to do. Uh. Yeah. And yeah. Ferrari. Ferrari. Oh, yeah. Ferrari, Ferrari existed. The source of our angst. <laughs> um, yeah. Supporter of the show, Sasha, has already had his meltdown as a Ferrari fan. He didn't fan. even make it to lunch. He didn't even make it to lunch. And he's like, I- I've had enough of this team. <laughs> look. Look, we, we need to. We, look, we need to. We need to. We need to just, like. We need to make, like, a verdict right now. Is is Ferrari just that bad or we no, Ferrari them? no Ferrari isn't worse than Williams and like they were at the top end of their speed trap run like 20 kph down in a straight line they're not they're not running like, that engine I I don't think Ferrari have you know a fantastic car but I do feel like they were definitely sandbagging. I don't know if they were sandbagging to hide a bad car or sandbagging to hide a good car. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, I don't know. They replaced the sand with lead. The preview show. They replaced no, sand with the, lead today. The narcotic is still sitting at the bottom of the Thames River. Yeah. I will also say that um, thanks to a certain publication... Mm-hmm. Gary Anderson now has an outlet for his tech takes, and he said the Ferrari isn't very impressive. So clearly, Ferrari's winning both championships before the summer break. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's that reverse psychology. If we hype yeah. them up too much, well, no, he, he's the guy who called the SF seventy. I think he called the SF seventy mediocre and the SF ninety the best car he's ever seen. So take of that what you will. Mm. By the way. If you uh, if you uh, find yourself uh, needing uh, fine uh, high quality uh, rice dishes, uh, then please uh, visit therice.com. Uh, oh Lord! 
Please don't. Don't. Please Go, don't. Don't give them your time. <laughs> give your time to, like, anyone else. Give your time <laughs> back to Autosport. Yes, I said that. <laughs> Luke, we love you. We do. We, we you. do. We, we love you, Luke. We appreciate your patience. We, we appreciate your patronage. It's really much appreciated. Um, so, yeah. Uh, we had a day of testing. We're already in, in part of, like... Uh, uh, we're going to be drawing so many bad conclusions that we'll end up going sideways by the time we get to Australia. Yeah, Who I knows? Mean, clearly, by the time uh, we get to Australia, we'll have overhyped Ferrari again and have gotten back on that narcotic. I th- I'm thinking uh, I'm thinking Aquafesh Williams Racing for the podium. <laughs> Might as well. Might as well fucking do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, again, they'll continue testing. Oh, and- we- More F1 news. Mm-hmm. Stoffel, the waffle, Van Dorn. Yeah. He's back. Good. He back. He, not only yeah. is he Good. back, he is the primary reserve driver for one Mercedes AMG Patronus Formula One team. Talk about falling straight into the sky. <laughs> this will be a theme later on. But yes, this is a transition into the news segment. Stoffel Van Dorn is the primary reserve driver of Mercedes AMG Formula One team with Patronus and Enios and Bose. Quiet step, comfort speakers and all that. Step one, garbage. get destroyed by Fernando Alonso. Step two, team built around get Fernando fired. Alonso. Step three... Get hired by the best team in F1. And somewhere in between, somewhere in between make off with the hand of DeFerrin. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he won out of that McLaren he partnership. Won. Yes. So, uh, step really four, did. question mark? <laughs> step four, you doing okay, Valser? <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, like, I don't, I don't honestly anticipate this to really get many places i it depends because he's gonna have time in the mercedes as the reserve driver but Mm -hmm. so does george russell so mercedes yeah but george russell you know mercedes is gonna have a direct comparison between those two in the mercedes chassis Mm -hmm. yep he gets to be in the picture the next time you know any mercedes related seat comes up Say, say a certain team that's running a derivative car of a previous Mercedes needs to cement an engine deal for their future works team from a works manufacturer that I think it's a car deal Formula at this One, point. The <laughs> Formula One power unit, you know. Yeah, I think it's the deal for the whole car at this point. <laughs> the whole car. Um. Yeah, it could be an interesting bargaining piece and. He effectively replaces the role that Ocon was in last year, and we know Ocon wasn't far away from the Mercedes seat before they re-signed Bottas. Right. Right. So it's looking like another make-it-or-break-it season for Valtteri Bottas because we all know Lewis Hamilton is content to ride out this deal with Mercedes for as long as he wants to keep racing. And yeah. that's honestly what he should be doing, especially yeah. because we know that Mercedes is not quitting anytime soon. Yeah, and uh, not only that, we know we know Stoffel is a damn sight better than what he was able to show in those junk McLarens. Right. Absolutely. Without a doubt. 
you know, there, there's a reason why he was, you know, he scored points on debut in a McLaren Honda in 2016. Right. You remember that? He, he scored their first points on the year, not, not less. Multiple race winner as a rookie in Super Formula. Um, match pretty evenly with Alonso the first full season they were together, if I were Yeah, that's kind of the thing with, just... with Stoffel's driving style. The way the 2018 McLaren was broken would directly affect his driving style. Right. Yeah. And having a busted uh, monocoque for a part of the year wouldn't help either. Good job, McLaren. Right. I would would hope that he's able to get another chance out of it. Again, I'm not not betting the house on it, but it would be great to see. Mm-hmm. Would you like to speak? Would we like to continue this trend of drivers uh, falling upward? And uh, folks, this, this is a driver Eric, being this is a driver being fired upward out of a cannon. As it turns out, Aero Electronics CEO's uh, terrible, awful, stupid periodism that ended up with a severed relationship with one driver has turned out to be the best thing to happen to one driver's chances of finally winning the Indianapolis 500. James Hinchcliffe is back at Andretti Autosport for the first time since 2014, and he will drive the Indy 500 and potentially more races in 2020. Yes, because he already got confirmed for what the Indianapolis 500, the IndyCar Grand Prix at the road course at Indianapolis, and the Texas 600. Yeah, Yeah, so that's three races, and there could be more because he does have a new sponsor that's willing to, that has been with him since before he even got this ride nailed down. And this was effectively what opened up once, you know, that deal with Fernando Alonso kind of fell through. All I know is that, uh... Dre painted his entire street white when this was announced. <laughs> You're talking about snow, right? Snow? Mm, Unless I say the fin- And finally, knock wood, James has a car because we know if even in the years where Andretti Autosport hasn't been competing for titles, if they could do one thing right, it's prepare a car for the Indy 500. Yeah, you might actually get a car that's capable of qualifying for the Indy 500. No last row shootout worries. And hell, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he won the whole damn thing here. Yeah, we know what James Hinchcliffe can do when he's got the equipment under him. Right. Though I, I do definitely appreciate him uh, rocking up to that, uh, rocking up on the same day of the uh, the, McL- the Aero McLaren launch and Shade. having an announcement of his own. It's just more merged. Sweet shade. Uh, oh, we actually, but, and and King and I talked about this because we watched IndyCar testing in the off week. There there wasn't much to there discuss. Wasn't, there it wasn't was wet we, used, we used the term testing loosely. We, we know it that Felipe Nazar has phenomenal car control in the wet. What, what would Felipe Nazar be doing testing in IndyCar? I, I don't understand. More on that in the coming weeks, potentially. Yes, I... I, I... I feel comfortable saying the the leading rumor at the moment is mm-hmm. that the second car at Carlton, the one that won't be piloted on the road courses by one Max Chilton, uh, the other car will be in the hands of both Felipe Nazar and Sergio Sete Camera, 
as they share the car throughout the whole season. It'll be pretty much a Team Brazil car. I love that. I Felipe love that lineup. Nazar do Brazil. I, I love that lineup. And if Carlin uh, finds a way to break through and get some more traction on these uh, road and straight courses, especially, uh, we know that those two can really, really take off. Also, yeah. Alex Pelu's Dale Coined Team Go Car. Yeah, it's, it's a theme this year. Black and pink cars, and they all look great. God. God, it looks so good. I want a poster. Yeah, um, and, but what I was starting to get to is we saw um, we saw the reveal of the Arrow McLaren cars. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, livery looks all right. And then we saw them on track, and we're just like, fuck these guys. Uh Somehow, somehow, like, they've become the ultimate heel team. And it didn't hit until we saw them on track. And I don't like this, because I like both their drivers. I do. I like Patricio Ward. I like Oliver Askew. Pato's been waiting for this chance for a long time. Don't make them dislikable figures. Fuck's sake. Um, Thanks, Arrow. Another good-looking car is the... uh, you know, it's basically a convenience of not having a title sponsor, but the throwback number 14 for Kanan, Kellett, and Bourdais looks really good. There's one more piece of IndyCar news that has just come to us here recently. Uh, this came to us uh, via, I want to I make sure I got this right, it's, uh, it's the Daily Telegraph of New Zealand. Uh, it was, the man quoted is, Dick Johnson... Australian racing legend and co-owner of DJR team Penske, who just happens to employ Scott McLaughlin. We know Scott McLaughlin will race at the Indy GP this month. Scott Dick Johnson told the Daily Telegraph that it's pretty obvious that he, meaning McLaughlin, will be gone, as in from the Australian Supercars Championship next year. We've just got to make the most of him in this year's championship because he's obviously U.S. bound. I think it'll definitely be his last year in supercars unless something unforeseen happens. Scotty's coming well, to America. Scott McLaughlin is coming to America. Oh my God. It's yeah. it's going to happen. And and the thought is, is that because, well... Roger Penske would kind of be out of his mind to drop any of his drivers with what the uh, defending champion, defending winner of the Indianapolis 500, the winner of the previous Indy 500 before that, and multiple time series <laughs> champion, spoiled for riches the man is, that yeah. Penske might have to open shop for th- another car. And they have run successfully as a four-car operation. The only thing I could see is if... Um, Era McLaren SP just writes a blank check to Simon Paginot and said, come race our cars. Even we then, with you. how Paginot did on both of the super speedways last year, if you're if you're Roger Penske, you got to keep the man. Absolutely. I think like, you do. <laughs> Penske is spoiled for choice here. And and Scott McLaughlin to the mix. I don't think they're going to cut Will Power. I know he didn't come on until late last season, but yeah, I mean the, know, the question Powers is, is uh, much a Penske guy. Of course, Chris DeHardy um, was in the chat before the recording started. He talked about because 
power is getting up there in age, but because of cer how circumstances have played out, especially with a certain news story that broke out about Elio Castroneves a little over a decade ago, which affected him for a while, he needed a driver and power stepped up. Yeah. So power's always going to have a seat in that team. To be fair, to be fair, it wasn't, to be fair, that whole story was mostly caused by the fact that, you know, they just decided, hey, we're going to, we're going to scratch out names on one driver's contract who had sadly left us uh, earlier that day and just replace it with another driver's name, not knowing how tax laws were from one country to another. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I And as we know, see... Elio ended up winning the 500. Yeah. So, for the third time. Everything. And then got punted by Harry Tinknell. I'm still mad. 24 hours. 24 hours. Shall we move King, on to other Australian yeah. news? Yeah. Uh, King, your thoughts on uh, on uh, Scotty Mack? I would say great move for the series. It, it you know, keeps, uh, you know... It keeps a presence in Australia and New Zealand that's, you know, seems like it was already on its way out because, you know, it Will Power and Scott Dixon are nearing the end of their careers within, you know, five years. Uh, I think Scott Dixon is just eternal and will just keep going forever. <laughs> just eternal. Yeah. There is uh, news in the automotive industry, and it's also adjacent to motorsport because it's a brand that has a huge presence in fact, it is one half of one of the greatest inter-manufacturer inter rivalries in all of motorsport. Uh, that by the end of the year, General Motors will be retiring the Holden Motor Company brand in Australia and New Zealand. It's the Folden um, of Holden. Yeah, this is part of a widespread General Motors thing that they're doing where they're basically pulling out of every right-hand drive market whether that's the united kingdom whether that's in this case australia new zealand um the holden brand will be gone by 2021 now this company has over 160 years of history starting as a saddle maker in 1856 got into cars in 1908 then bought by general motors in 1931 and this is a devastating blow for an Australian automotive industry that is pretty much dead and buried because no, by the end of this, Holden, Holden never made their own stuff. Yeah, they I stopped mean, producing their own cars in Australia a number of years ago. Yeah, and you know they were always based on other GM platforms, but they had cars unique to their market. And in right. the past couple of years, you know, it's just been purely rebadged G other cars from GM from other markets. Yeah, and it's just far more affordable to the, the, build models abroad where the labor is cheaper and just import into Australia. Yeah. In, in its current form, the Holden brand doesn't make financial sense for GM. Right. They, uh, they ceased production in its last Australian factory in 2017. By 2018, they were becoming an all-import brand, like such as, for instance, the the Holden Commodore they currently use. That's a that's a rebadged car from other General Motors platforms. Um, 
This is obviously reminiscent for those in the United States who can remember when General Motors first went bankrupt and there went Pontiac, there went Saturn, there went Saab. Uh, Before that, Oldsmobile had shuttered. You know, a lot of those names were very synonymous with with performance and automobile racing in the States. But even under Pontiac, I mean, we got a few Holdens rebadged for our market. The GTO, the GTO in the mid 2000s was a Holden Monaro with a different front bumper. They tried it again with the Commodore as the Pontiac G8 and again as the Chevrolet SS. Which was, Um, of course, you know, Chevy's entry into NASCAR that they promoted for a few years. Right. Right. And... You know, it's, yeah, it's obviously reminiscent of the shuttering of those other General Motors brands, but for, but for those in Australia and in New Zealand, Holden was it. There, there is no, pretty much no Chevrolet. It, it was Holden or bust, and they are basically the backbone of the Australian Supercars Championship. Once yeah, upon a time, Australian was, touring cars. This like, would be like if Chevrolet shut down in the States. Yeah. But it would I mean, be of that in, magnitude. In, in some ways, like even compared to Ford, like Holden was the prism for for just the automotive industry in Australia, where it's like that's pretty much how Australia, well, most Australians got their first taste of anything that was specifically made for them, and how the world viewed the Australian motorsport industry through Holden. Yeah, I mean, right. think of all the iconic motorsport moments. That we watched. And, I mean, supporter of the show in the chat right now, James, his first car is a Holden. Both right. of his parents drive I... Holdens. Right. He is a he is one of our biggest Holden supporters that we have. I think he's um, the biggest Holden supporter living. <laughs> right. And it's, it's, it's staggering to think that next year they just will cease to exist. And not only and... that, if we know that when asked if they were going to honor the rest of their contract with V with with supercars, they basically left it on a no comment. Right. So maybe that Holden becomes another program with Camaros uh, under the under what I believe is going to be the General Motors Special Vehicles uh, line is what they plan to do with it. Yeah, uh, which is really I, I like even then that's still like like spoiled milk at that point if they continue on the program but under Chevrolet branding like or just GM were, branding or just but, yeah. GM branding in general it'd be you know the, the Seattle Sonics moving to Oklahoma City Oof. no think no think about this it would be as if it would be as if you as if you had like the Lakers versus the Celtics, but all of a sudden one of those teams wasn't there anymore. Yeah, it's it's an icon of motorsport and of just the Australian automotive culture. It's gone. Yeah. It's and among this a number of at least six hundred jobs are lost out of this, which is of course absolutely devastating for those people who've worked there. Um we of course want to send our best wishes to them and you know certainly not the way that you know a supercar season is about to start with the Adelaide 500 this is certainly not the news that it needed 
Yeah, the um, whole season with Supercars is going to have this cloud over it of, you know, what's going to happen because Holden makes up, what, over half the grid in Supercars. Right, right, because uh, the Fords aren't as prevalent. Again, Ford was a company that itself pulled out of Supercars, officially. Yeah, and themselves, you know, Ford, their car that they enter in Supercars is, well, it's more of a caricature, but... right. It's an international car. It's no longer an Australian market car. Right. It used to be the Falcon. Because, now it's the Mustang. Because the days of the Australian Super Saloons are, are gone. There's no more Ford Falcon. And there's no more Holden Commodore. And pretty soon there will be no more Holden. Mm-hmm. And Cam, I'm going to give you a, a good five to seven minutes because I hate to tell you that... Uh, Things aren't much better elsewhere in the world when it comes to uh, manufacturers with a too-good-a-pull-out game. <laughs> oh, first, to pull out, first you have to stick it in. <laughs> so, at one point, we had, uh, we had Toyota, Aston Martin, Peugeot, and Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus all committed to the new Le Mans hypercar formula. We now check in on the Le Mans hypercar formula already burning in progress. Guys, should we put out this fire? Should we, should we put it out? The, the lug nut, which is basically the onion for motorsport, said, To die, first one must be alive. When referring That's to a- hypercar. That sounds like a TNA promo, not gonna lie. <laughs> now I'm now I'm just oh. expecting Tito Ortiz to walk down the aisle to a to an absolute cr- to a serenade of crickets and tumbleweeds. <laughs> Look, um, in case those of you are who are listening don't know. The Aston Martin Valkyrie Lamar project has been, in Aston Martin's words, postponed. Um, I, 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 yeah. I love how in the span of like two months, postponed has become the new canceled. Yeah, yeah. like, and wasn't, and this is like days after um, the Valkyrie was taken around a track by Red Bull. This was the Matt day Vistapen. of that we saw it on Motorsport TV with Verstappen and Albon race running the road cars around Silverstone. Yeah, and you're thinking, man, this is going to be awesome when it gets to the track, right? Psych. Yeah. <laughs> Got played. And Aston Martin cited the reason, and um, everyone, turn your bullshitometer on. That. They they're quitting because this is not the vision of hypercars that they saw. They want they thought they were going to could be competing against like machinery and like minded manufacturers, when in reality, to try and you know improve the health of global sports car racing, the ACO had to give in to IMSA, and agree to the LMDH class, which will be appearing at Le Mans in a couple of years. Yeah. But like like-minded manufacturers, who? The last time, who? Like, the, like the last time anyone was like, oh yeah, Aston Martin and Toyota are like-minded. When fucking Aston Martin tried to tell me a Signet was Aston Martin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the V8 was one. <laughs> but yes, Aston, Aston Martin is Aston, the Aston plug. Martin V8 Signet for hypercar. Anyways. Aston Martin has uh, powered the Valkyrie off. We know that Peugeot's future in top-level 
sports car prototype racing is a bit on hold because Rebellion Racing announced it was shutting its doors. Well, no, in fact, yeah, that's not the only thing that's happened in World Endurance, but I wanted to get to the fact that the ACO built these regulations so that the Valkyrie Lamar program could happen. The hypercar regulations. And they made everyone wait. They they made this asinine system of, you know, so many different cars EOT together. And now that manufacturer who, according to the ACO, they knew they weren't in great financial shape. And you still went through with these regulations when really we could have had a global platform a year ago. Yeah. That's and the now, thing. now we're in a situation where Toyota is putting their hypercar program under question saying we will evaluate our position at a later time because they're going to be competing alone in this class. They will. It will be them versus a uh, versus a boutique manufacturer from America. Yeah, That's not and healthy. we don't know what stage the Glickenhaus program is at. And really, they don't have the money to compete at this level against manufacturers like Toyota, like the LMDH manufacturers. And I don't want to sit through another cycle of Toyota drivers sacrificing their entire careers that they could be putting forth domestically just to compete against themselves in the World Endurance Championship. But the thing is, like, if there is no Valkyrie next year, and if there is no GR Supersport hypercar, what the hell does the WEC do next? Yeah, because as we also learned in the past, what was it, a week ago, Rebellion's done. Yeah, they're done. They're out. They're not not participating with Peugeot. They're not done with... Yeah, they're not done with hypercar. They're done with motorsport. Yeah, they're out of motorsport as a whole. And that compromised the Peugeot program because, of course, Peugeot was partnered with Orica and Rebellion. Well, first, Orica pulled out of the Peugeot program because they're going to have their hands full mass-producing tubs for LMDH. And now Rebellion's pulled out entirely as well, which means next year, best-case scenario grandfather Janetta LMP1s because Toyota has said this is it for the TSO50 we're done developing it we're developing our next car if this forces them to cancel the GR Supersport hypercar oh, we could if, like yeah if, if we're if gonna have the two like car Toyota, top class yeah it feels like Toyota's at that point where like if they have to cancel a hypercar, they're just pulling out completely. They're not going to LMTA. And Janetta's yeah. not even coming to this weekend's Lone Star Lamar. By the way, this is your reminder that Lone Star Lamar is actually happening, and it's this weekend <laughs> as of time of recording. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Coda only just found out. Right. And um, people people are showing up at the gates and they're like, "Why are you here?" So let's run this down. We've got two LMP ones from Toyota that are definitely not running next year. Mm-hmm. We have no more rebellions after this year. We have okay. Janetas that are having to pull out of races for maintenance. No Aston Martin. Glickenhaus, we have no idea of the state of their program. Baikal is lull. And Peugeot, who basically openly said, like, yeah, we're, gonna, we're just going to join Hypercar. LMDH. Or not, yeah, yes. LM, there's too many LMHs. And you forget the D, so you know. Sounds it's like a mess. 
it's a mess. And again, the top class next year, what are we going to have? Two grandfather Janettas and then the LMP2 class if Toyota ends up pulling the plug? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's looking bleak and it has a ripple effect across all of top flight endurance racing. And we thought, um, the... like, when they announced LMDH, they're like, okay, we have another year under hypercar and then we're good. We're out of the woods. Is the WEC even going to get there? I it, It's a question you have to ask now. I would hope so. And maybe the solution might be just jam some DPIs that you can find into the top class and see who wants to come. Yeah, because at this point, you know, who else is going to come to Le Mans? Your That's... premier event is going to be empty. And especially as well, well as Vic put the... in the chat... What about the other rounds? Like, the next season starts this fall. Yeah, like, there's... Because of how long it took to ratify the hypercar regulations, it left nobody with any time. We still haven't even seen the Toyota in, you know, run in anger yet. Right. I mean, we saw, what was it, in 2012 or the end of 2011, the TSO 30 was already on track at this point testing because they had enough lead time. Yeah, the ACL left Toyota in this instance with not a lot of lead time and now a class that might be a class of one. And as Vic put in the chat, GTE has been gutted, too. There's no more BMW. There's no more Ford. Corvette are cherry picking rounds. That picture just threw me off. Thank you, RJ. Uh, this is the uh, this is the drivers walking across the grid at Barcelona with Nico Rosberg in the background exploding. Uh, that's a that's a perfect allegory of what's going on with hypercar, and I hope that the FIA and ACO can find a solution to this. Be, uh, but it's not looking optimistic. This is bad for sports car racing as a whole, except for IMSA. Well, even with IMSA. Like, what do you do if you go to set up LMDH and you go to merge your class and there's no class to merge into? Like, I would say it does benefit IMSA that there is definite manufacturer interest on your end. That you're yeah. definitely going to have way more manufacturers than you thought you yeah. had. Especially when with LMDH, like, immediately, Porsche said they're interested. Ford, we know, is interested. Lamborghini's interested. Along with the current like, manufacturers. And it seemed like they got that massive caveat that a lot of manufacturers had with any IMSA prototype category. Can we run it at Le Mans? And the ACO, don't know why, but they but they relented and gave IMSA that big thing they I needed. think because the ACO said, like, we kind of saw this coming with Aston Martin. I think they saw the state of the Valkyrie program, or lack thereof, mm-hmm. and panicked. Yeah, yeah, it could it could be that. Again, we're hoping for the best out of that, obviously. Um, King, um, what do you do when Rally Finland comes uh, six months early? Oh, uh, say, wh- why are we in Norway right now? <laughs> <laughs> Rally Sweden was run at half the schedule the original scheduled distance because it didn't snow in sweden 
Yeah. Uh, Toyota's uh, Elf and Evans won the rally, uh, a rally that was only nine of the originally scheduled 19 stages and now holds the WRC championship lead after two rounds. Yeah. Um... The thing is with this is that the the teams fly in the intended tires ahead of time. Yeah. And there was no snow for the snow tires. Nope. Hmm. No snow. That's good. Although that's not good. Although it was good to see White Tanak finish the rally and not yeet himself over a cliff like he did in Monte Carlo. You mean two cliffs. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, man, that crash. Yeah. Modern safety is so good. Shut the fuck up that the cars are too safe. Yeah. And we also have uh, Evans and Neuville tied in points with Evans holding the tiebreaker with two podium finishes. I'll say this. At least at least this driver has consistency that's worth being overhyped. Mm. <clears throat> um. And we have Junior Formula News. Though I do have one quick question before we move on. Yeah. Do you think they really should have given full points out for this event? Like, mm. the only reason they were able to give out full points because of a technicality. Yes, you see, because they foresaw this and had preemptively canceled some stages, the fact that more stages were canceled during the rally means that it technically met schedule distance because the schedule distance was shortened in the first place. Yes. Yeah. So the race ran, what, less than half of its original, original scheduled distance. Yes. Which, if if they showed up and canceled all those stages, it would have been half points. Yeah. Climate change ain't real, they say. Because, Shut. uh, over the weekend I figured out that you need to, to get half points, you need to run at least 75% distance. Yeah, there's some big question marks that maybe they should fix that technicality in the rulebook. Yeah, also maybe. maybe maybe we should look at how things are warming up there in Sweden and actually, you know, just like think about that instead of denying it blindly. Just thought. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we got junior We got junior formula developments. Igor Fraga is your Toyota Racing Series champion. Yes. Esports star Igor Fraga beat New Zealand's Liam Lawson to win the Toyota Racing Series title in New Zealand. And somewhere, Brian Keselowski's really mad about it. <laughs> and somewhere, I think Kaz Yamauchi, Lucas Ordonez, and Jan Martinborough, and Mikhail Heisel are really proud of him. Yeah. Um, because esports... Yeah. Esports was Fraga's ticket back because it kind of looked like he was without a future for for a little bit until he won that gt sport title and well all of a sudden you know they realize oh hey he could drive real cars too and drive them pretty well yeah i mean keep in mind with that whole brian keselowski controversy (laughs) a lot of people who sim race they do it as a hobby and they do it because they want to indulge in their passion and they don't have the backing to go and do that but some people can make the jump Frog is one of them. He's pretty good. Yeah, right. He's real good. Oh, uh, he William Byron, Hendrick Motorsports driver in the top flight of NASCAR. 
yet. We mentioned, list off every GT Academy graduate who started from nothing out of sim racing to become race winners themselves. You know, we know that Lando Norris and Max Verstappen and Nicky Tim all race avidly as hobbies apart from their world-class racing endeavors in their own rights. Mm -hmm. um, it was a close fight between him and Liam Lawson, but with two wins out of three in the New Zealand Grand Prix at Manfield, Igor Fraga took the title by six points. Franco Colapinto was third, Yuki Tsunoda fourth, and Peter Petacek was fifth in the championship. Uh, so congratulations, Igor. It's much deserved, and we look forward to seeing you tear it up on the Formula 3 circuit as well. And hey, friend of the show, Brandon Lay getting racing gives off the back of his F1 eSports success too. We can't forget that either. Yeah, and I mean, as as much as an accomplishment this is, this is, you know, a winter series, spring training if you might, if, if you have it. And this is a great sign for his season coming up that he's able to have such good form in these cars. Definitely. Definitely. We got some more uh, signings in Formula 2. The grid's almost filled up. Almost, but not quite. We have uh, we have both Campos drivers signed now. Um, we we know a, a, quite a bit about the first driver. It's the second one you might not know much about, King. <laughs> yes, the second driver at Campos. Well, the, the first driver at Campos returning, Jack Aiken, who's making a title push, and in somewhat traditional form anytime a driver is coming back to make a title push they stay at the same team uh but uh the next driver brazilian uh guillerme samia uh i i don't know much about him either gonna be honest from what i understand guillerme samia is a brazilian formula 3 champion uh, he raced in Euro Formula Open. I'll say this, he's a slight bit better over the worst driver in last year's Formula 2 grid, uh, where he has actual credible racing experience. Can um, he make a three-point turn? I think he could make a three-point turn. Excellent. Could, Big improvement. I think, I think, well, even if he qualifies back row, second to back row, he's not going to be, like, hopelessly off the pace. So it's a good signing of, hey, if he's bringing money to help Jack Aitken make a title push after he was kind of pushed out of Renault, and they kind of mutually parted ways because there was no future for him there, then it's good to see. Um, also, Nobuhara Matsushita signed for MP Motorsport, but we kind of knew this for a month now. <laughs> yeah. Yep, and like, man, oh man, the field's looking very Brazilian. <laughs> We have three Brazilian drivers now between Samaya, PK, who's at Cheru's racing system, and Felipe Drogovic, Matsusha's teammate at MP Motorsport, who are looking for. Who's also good. making the step up from Euro Formula Open. <laughs> That's Formula, right. That's... Formula 2 do Brazil? <laughs> I like it. I like it. So now there's only two seats left on the grid. There's the seat at Carlin alongside Yuki Tsunoda. And the seat at Trident again, uh, alongside Roy Nissany. Oh, man. Looking at the grid, it is going to be a very exciting year. Where I'm excited for drivers who I know are probably not going to win the championship, but I just want to see them race these cars. I do. I really, really do. I, I'm, I'm pretty excited for that as well. Um, we've got some... Uh, we do have our... Uh, 
We do have some other uh, signings in the uh, in the Formula Three ranks. Uh, Ollie Caldwell, Liram Zundelli, and Devlin DeFrancesco will be driving for uh, for the Trident team. And uh, Campos has re-signed Alex Peroni. Alex Peroni is back, and Alessio Deleda is back as well. Uh, as Formula Three grid starting to fill out, and it's filling out very, very well. Can't wait for us to not make time for us to watch it because we're all bad. We're all. <laughs> I'll bad. try. We try. We have time to watch and catch up. It's it's a long time bef- between their first rounds at Bahrain. Everyone's going to Bahrain, including Formula mm. Three this year. Yeah. Uh, and. The next round in their championship, an entire month later in the Netherlands at the start of May at Zandvoort, which that's going to be a trip. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, so say uh, MotoGP news. The KTMs exist, and they look quite good. Yes, Uh, I'm happy. I'm happy. Um, We don't have to wait. Cal Crutchlow said some things. They will not be repeated here. You can go and find them. That's they're all. Really I'm... bad things. They're really, yeah, really we'll, bad we'll, things. We'll want to. We'll want to have Dre back on the show to talk about that. Yeah. But you don't. I'm, you I'm don't. Pretty sure we'll we'll bring it up in our MotoGP season preview. Yeah. We'll. Uh. We'll. We don't have to wait long for bikes because World Superbikes is next weekend as of time of recording. Um. So we'll talk about that in our next episode, as well as Mar- as well as us Marrakeshing the fever with the Marrakesh Epri. It's looking like a good weekend of racing uh, to come, and and it comes to World Superbikes. I, I think we know. The, do we know the outcome? Do we think we know the outcome? Um, I will say, it man, man who made unbelievable save is it, uh, Dominique? Agater? Yes. Agater. Um, that save, still astounding, is now the HRC test rider for World Superbike, and he will be running the Suzuka 8 Hours with them. Oh, that's that's good. That's definitely something to look forward to as we head towards July. But again, if you have, uh, if you have World Superbikes, Formula E, uh, yeah, we'll... we'll Guess we'll talk a little bit about Lone Star Lamont. We have to. Oh no. We'll mention that it happened. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's the most we can guarantee. Uh, King, did we miss any important stories? No, I I think we're good. Uh, I will say, uh, Gunther Steiner put out a statement about the racing point. Yeah. Oh oh, no. Oh no. Yeah, um, so I can get the full statement up here. Oh no! Because uh, it's like interesting for you guys to complain about our car last year. <laughs> when uh, you brought the Mercedes from home. <laughs> Did he actually? No. 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 That's also just me. By the- also, by the time this next episode comes out, uh, Haas Critic Racing Point should think before it talks. Goodness gracious. Uh, I don't know. If he hasn't called him a bunch of wankers, I don't know if it's a real Gunther Steiner quote. <laughs> Folks, 
I've got an I've got an anniversary dinner to head to. Uh, uh, so we so this is a good time for us to wrap it up. Again, I appreciate you all. We appreciate you all very much for listening in. Um, it's been a good show. We thank you very much for your support. Um, it all means a lot. Follow us on social media: Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Motorsport101.com. You know our Twitter handles. Um, we're if you back us on Patreon for just ten dollars a month, you can listen to all of our shows as they're being recorded. Thank you very much, Charlie, Zane, Tony, Stephen, Jason, Oliver, Vic, and James. Thank you all very much for listening. I, I do have to wake my partner up for the couch. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, we're both. I think we're all tired. I think uh, this so, is some this is some wholesome end of episode content. Right, much better than last time. So for for Andre Harrison, for Ryan King, and Cam Buckley, I'm RJ O'Connell. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Motorsport 101, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Later, y'all. Bye. Help Mitch Evans. I hope Mitch Evans steps on a fucking Lego. Ah! <laughs> <laughs>